Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. All right, everybody, let's talk about Holman and Finch. They went out of business. They closed their doors. It just got announced today. As I'm recording this, it is Wednesday, April 5th, and they announced today on social media that they are closing their doors. And then it was reported in the Citizen Times, which made it feel more real for everybody. And here's some thoughts about Holman and Finch. And um, I'm just going to be super honest right now, and I'm not intending to hurt anybody's feelings. So if I do so, I apologize for that. But my feeling on Holman and Finch is that they were never going to make it. They were never going to make it in this town. They moved to Asheville, and they did not understand our city at all. They got here. And they had already won a James Beard Award down in Atlanta. So they took a look at our little food scene up here, our little city, and the fact that a bunch of our chefs had been nominated for James Beard Awards. And I feel like they thought they might come to our town and show us how it's done. And uh, in, in the meantime, two of our chefs have won James Beard Awards, two of our local homegrown chefs, Chef Katie Button, Chef Marwani Ronnie. Congratulations to both of them. But at the time, we didn't have any James Beard winners. So their chef came to town, opened up H&F Burger, the same concept that he won a James Beard Award for down in Atlanta. And I think that he thought that we were going to be super impressed. And honestly, we just weren't. I mean, when I heard a new restaurant was going into this space, this famous space, and I'll get back to that a little bit later, um, I was psyched. I was excited. New restaurants, my favorite thing in the world, my favorite two words in a row, new restaurant. Uh, And so I was pumped, and then I heard it was James Beard Award winner from Atlanta, pumped again, and then I heard it was going to be burgers and fried chicken, and the air went right out of my balloon. Do I love burgers and fried chicken? Yes, I do. I really love burgers and fried chicken. I probably eat more of those two items than any other two things in this world, and yet I was unexcited. Why would that be? Well, because we have amazing burgers and fried chicken out the wazoo in this town already. Like, it's already here, yo. It might not be on the radar for the James Beard Foundation, but Rocky's Fried Chicken is some of the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life, and it's right here in little old Asheville. More great fried chicken? Have you been to Homegrown? Their fried chicken is through the roof awesome. And then there's Buxton Hall Barbecue with their fried chicken sandwich, which I have given an award to. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Twisted Laurel actually has an amazing fried chicken sandwich. People are doing amazing things with fried chicken in this town. And we don't really, I mean, yeah, we like it. But are we going to get pumped that somebody from Atlanta is coming here with their James Beard Award winning fried chicken? No, we don't. We There was a collective meh went up all over town when we heard that was their concept. And I went there a few times, 
And I, um, the burger was okay, but part of what they bragged about was that it had Velveeta slices on it. And a lot of people really liked that. I guess it was some sort of like trashy cred to use Velveeta slices. And to me, I'm just going to tell you, I don't have any craft food products in my whole house and I never will. And so that the burger didn't excite me. I did one time online rave about their turkey burger, which was actually one of the best turkey burgers I've ever had. But although I liked it a lot, I don't get pumped or jazzed about turkey burgers. I maybe should have gone back and gotten it more now that they're closed. I'll miss it. But uh, or I've missed my opportunity. But um, yeah, so right out of the gate, not excited about their concept. I wasn't excited. And Asheville was more importantly, Asheville wasn't excited. And then like once they opened up and and Asheville was going in there and it was actually going pretty good for him. They were doing a pretty good business. They were getting some uh, butts in the seats and getting some juice on social media and such. And then the COVID came to town. And so, boom, they were, paper went up in the windows like brown paper, boom, they closed. They weren't doing stuff during COVID. They didn't try to do takeout. They didn't try to do pop-ups. They didn't try to do collaborations. I don't know what they were doing. They were probably just super concerned with trying to keep the one in Atlanta open. And I understand that. But the thing is, is that they closed but they didn't give up the space and they didn't actually close. So when 2022 rolled around and there was a big gap where there had been nothing in there and I might have some of my dates a little off. I'm notoriously bad at anything that involves numbers. I have sort of a numbers dyslexia type of thing going on, but uh, they were closed for a good period of time. And then when the paper came off the windows, they had transformed from H and F to Holman and Finch. And uh, the, and the transformation was total. The only thing that remained the same were the two first letters of Holman and Finch. And they still had the chicken and burgers on the menu, but now they had a lot of other stuff. They redecorated the whole place. They rebranded as a gastro pub type of a situation trying to get famous for charcuterie, cheese boards, raw oysters, uh, high-end whole animal stuff, and just like a fancy, fancy restaurant. So a total rebrand away from the thing that won them a James Beard Award in Atlanta, but bored the crap out of everybody up here in Asheville. So good move. Okay. Here's the and the food was good. Like I've gone and I've written really great reviews of the food of this place. And let me tell you, food is the last reason people close their restaurants. It, there rarely have I seen a restaurant that closed because the food was no good. I'm sure it happens, but it's usually overhead, staffing, mismanagement, inability to brand, inability to to have solid hours. And I'll get to that in a minute. But good food is or bad food is almost never the reason that restaurants close. So keep that in mind that I enjoyed the food at Holman and Finch. Uh, the charcuterie was real good. The raw oysters were really good. I, uh, I, I did a tasting. I did actually two tastings there. So I tried a real wide variety of food, including a whole deboned rabbit 
and um, there it was great. So the food was good, but again, getting back to some of the things that I saw from the beginning that were not going to make it. When I walked in the door of the new Holman and Finch, there was a serious happiness deficit in this restaurant. And I mean the atmosphere of the restaurant, the atmosphere and attitudes of the staff. And I'm not dumping on the people who work there. This is more about culture than it is about individual ability. And I knew some of the people who worked there personally, and I and I liked them as people. I didn't know a lot of the people who worked there, but I'm sure I liked them as people too. So absolutely not trashing on the staff of the restaurant, but there was a serious happiness deficit when I walked in there. It just didn't feel like the people who worked there were happy. And I don't know if they were and just weren't very emotive about it, but I did glean. Nobody said directly to me that it was not a good place to work, but I had gleaned that from people who worked there and left. And, and these people were very high class and did not say smack about their fo former employer, but they kind of went on and on about happy how happy they were at their new place. And that told me a lot. And then on Facebook, I did read a lot of people saying that it was a crap place to work. Now, you can take Facebook with a grain of salt. I don't have personal experience with how they treated their staff. I was never a member of the staff. I've never sat down and talked to a member of the staff directly about it. I did get some hints from some former members of the staff, and I know what I read on Facebook. And I know there was a thing that I call a happiness deficit at this restaurant, and that all made sense to me. So those were issues. Now let's talk about the hours. Holman and Finch could not seem to get consistent hours, and they could not seem to get their hours out there to the world to observe. So that's going to be a problem. And then finally, um, you know, they they didn't advertise very much, and they didn't participate. They were non-participatory in our food scene. So you gotta, I mean, there's not, there's some restaurants that don't participate in throwdowns and pop-ups and stuff like that. And they're going to be fine, partly because those same restaurants will participate in things like um, Dine to be Kind and Restaurant Week and Chow Chow and things like that. So there's some upper echelon restaurants that are sort of aloof in terms of participating in some of the down and dirty throwdowns that we have in this town. But they're they're taking care of business on a higher level. Holman and Finch, like while they may have participated in them, um, dying to be kind and stuff like that, I, I had no idea because they didn't advertise that uh, as far as I could tell. And I've got my eye out for these things. So if if they were good at it, I would have seen it. But uh, they they did they were like a ghost in this town. You know, like people were staying on the post from the citizen times oh they're closed i didn't never even heard of them and they're right downtown like right next to mama Cita's, which is an intensely uh busy and uh successful restaurant that's been around for years and years and is run by john atwater and john treats his staff great and the hours are rock solid the food is great nobody's wondering what they're doing uh they're making mexican food and they're making some of the best in town and they were one of the first people to do it downtown so like super successful business right next door one that just went out of business and the differences between them are stark 
And uh, I know I said finally, but one more finally. They wouldn't play ball with the food tours. And, well, we don't require that of restaurants, of course. They they host us at their pleasure. Um, and there's plenty of restaurants that we don't go into, and I don't begrudge them at all. They don't want us. They don't need us. They don't have room for us. But Holman and Finch needed us and had room for us. And whether you, you may not really realize that food tours can be really great for restaurants, a restaurant that's not getting a lot of juice, but has a great product. You start bringing 30, 40 people a week in there to taste the food. Word of mouth takes off the world of the internet with social media, a lot of pictures and tags get shared and it can really help a restaurant. Um, so Holman and Finch didn't want to play with food tours. The staff thought it was a good idea. The people we knew who worked there, um, the chef de cuisine, Antonio, he was into it. And Antonio is now working at Jetty Race. So go say hi to him there. Uh, he was into it. He really wanted it to happen. They were open for lunch, but nobody was in there. And that's the perfect time for us to bring food tours in. And once you see people in there, you're more inclined to go in there yourself if you look in the window. And everybody wanted it to happen, but the corporate headquarters are in Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't understand Asheville. They never said no, but they never said yes. And they just wouldn't pull the trigger. And all of those things combined are why I never thought that Holman and Finch was going to make it. And I just said it to somebody yesterday. And in fact, I said it to Patty this morning. Patty and I, I said, check it out, Patty. You can't find the hours on the front of Holman and Finch. Come look with me. I want to show you that I can't find the hours. And we looked and we looked. And we did find the brunch hours, actually. They were hidden in a collage. But we couldn't find the regular hours. And I said to him, I'm telling you what, man. I don't think these guys are going to make it. And then later in the afternoon, he texted me the the post they made about closing their doors. So R.I.P. Holman and Finch, you came to town, you did your best with H&F Burger. That didn't work. You rebranded as Holman and Finch. I'm sorry to hear that didn't work. Maybe the overhead on that space is prohibitive. That is a major factor in the success of restaurants. Landlords who charge too much for any restaurant to be successful in that space that just drives prices through the roof. So the customer has a hard time getting a valuable meal or a meal that has bang for the buck, you know. And uh, it's and so maybe the rent is prohibitive and the overhead is prohibitive. I don't know the full inside story. I just know my own observations as somebody who walks around downtown, somebody who eats at over this year, I'm well on course to eat at 200 different restaurants. And uh, I, I, I see things, I observe things, I sometimes vocalize my observations, and I have done that just now. So I feel bad for everybody who worked there. They got let go unceremoniously from what I understand. So if you're hiring out there, let the folks from that worked at Holman and Finch know that you, you need some workers. Um, so there you go, folks. Uh, support your local restaurants, and uh, thanks for listening to my rant about Holman and Finch, and let's get on with the rest of the show. Hey, everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan, back here in Food Fan Headquarters. And, you know, one of the things that I love so much about living here in Asheville 
is that it is a city full of characters. <laughs> and I I myself am one of them. You can see me walking around downtown eating cheeseburgers, doing my thing. And you'd be like, that's the guy from the internet. And we have a lot of s- such people here in Asheville. And my next guest to me is one of those people. <laughs> she is Leah M- McGrath. And she is not just the Ingalls dietitian. She's a character in our town <laughs> who is on social media saying stuff. She's interactive with our community and she's a wonderful person. Hey, Leah, how are you today? Hey, Stu, thank you. I would much rather be called a, a character than um, a menace as I was on Asheville Reddit not too long ago. A menace. Uh, I don't know why I I got the menace title, but there you are. So I'll take character every day over menace. So I take I'm gonna take it. You were scrapping it up over there on Asheville I, Reddit. No, I was not. I you know I I I've tried Reddit. I, I'm not a super big fan, and and the thread was about something about gas prices, and all of a sudden, of course. You know, Ingalls enters mm. the chat, and then all of a sudden, like, like all of a sudden, my name's in the chat. I'm like, and I'm re- being referred to as a menace, and I'm like, how did this happen? Well, I, I don't have anything to do with gas or gas prices, but there you are. So, well, character menace, <laughs> wonderful person. There's a lot of titles: dietitian, right, uh, army officer, yeah. former army officer. Um, But let's back up a little bit. For anybody who doesn't live in Western North Carolina, you might be wondering, what is Ingalls? And Ingalls is our supermarket chain. It's a family-owned chain. It's part of our food scene. Um, I shop at Ingalls, and I love what Ingalls does for our community. And Leah is a... Uh, in some ways, you're the face of Ingalls and the voice of Ingalls in some ways. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but that is a fact um you have a radio show you're active on social media and do i understand that you do that you're the he- like you kind of head angles social media or yes mm-hmm. yes okay um yeah, you know and i think one of the things that you'll probably really understand too is a lot of times um, businesses of all different sizes feel kind of overwhelmed by social media and try and think about ways that they can outsource Mm-hmm. that those platforms and some people um, are very good at handling social media for other businesses and finding that that business's voice mm-hmm. and I think as a we were just not really we wanted to keep the voice of Ingalls an authentic voice and a voice that understood the culture of Ingalls and the history of Ingalls mm-hmm. and finding that in and outsourcing that to an agency is always very tricky when you try and do that. Yeah, it is. And and Asheville's a town that can see through that right away. Yeah. And if something doesn't seem authentic, it's considered kind of bogus in right. this town. Um, right. So mm-hmm. congrats to you because, oh, you know, I'm a huge fan of social media. It's, it's just another word for free advertising in a lot of cases. <laughs> and uh, it's a great way to reach your audience. And you do have a rapport with your audience. So let's get on to your role as the dietitian at um, at Ingalls. And I just to prepare for the show, I looked up, you know, what does a dietitian do? I thought I knew. But there seems to be a lot of different definitions depending on where you work and in what field you work in. So what is your role at Ingalls as a dietitian? 
Well, so I've been with Ingalls for about 23 years now. And so over time that my role has really sort of evolved, but sort of the core aspects have always been to provide a place where our customers can go to for information about food, health, nutrition, and kind of uh, relay some of those uh, concerns, messages, questions, if appropriate, to our buyers, to our uh, merchandisers, to our market managers, um, to our corporate um our corporate headquarters, and to kind of let them know what's on people's minds, what are they concerned about? Because um, uh, sometimes there are a variety of different concerns and food fads and food trends. And so sometimes uh, because of where I am in social media and getting those questions, I feel like I can start to see those, the embers start to glow on different topics. And I can go back and say, you know, I'm starting to hear a lot of concerns or a lot of questions about this topic. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes maybe that's helpful to our buyers and our other folks in corporate. Just about everybody is concerned about what they put into their bodies. And a lot of people, uh, especially in this town, perhaps it's universal, but a lot of people really do think they can affect their health and well-being with their diets. And that's true. If you eat garbage, you're going to feel terrible. And if you eat healthy, you're going to feel better. Um, now, let's venture into some pseudoscience world uh, a little bit, Leah. And this might, I'm going to guess, this might be where some of the animosity on the Reddit thread comes from, is that you are known to scrap it up a little bit with the sort of food as medicine crowd. And wow. so as a... You did do your background work. I, hey, I'm, I'm, we've been friends for a long time. I see what you do out there, and and I concur. Like there, you're not gonna cure. I now I'm gonna get in trouble because I'm gonna say I don't think you're gonna cure diseases by drinking uh, certain berry juices. You know, like you're gonna you might have a little more pep in your step and a little a little better nutrition because you're getting those you know berries in you. But right. you know, I'm not a big big believer in food as medicine. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about the role of a dietitian to combat some of the, some of the misconceptions around that? Yeah. You know, I think that it's very, when people hear me say something that like food is not medicine, um, I think that it surprises them because as a dietitian, the world of food and nutrition is sort of what's in my toolbox. Right. Mm -hmm. But the issue is, I think a lot of times we forget uh, that, and uh, I'm sort of paraphrasing uh, a friend of uh, a friend of mine on Twitter, but we for we forget that we've gotten to where we are in terms of longevity, disease prevention, leading causes of diseases, because we didn't just have access to food. We have access to medicine, to tests, to treatment, to medical care, to incredibly skilled researchers and scientists. So um, I, like you, um, Stu, believe that, you know, having a good diet, whatever that means for you, and it is different from person to person. And I think that in and of itself is one really key thing. What's healthy for or good for Stu Helm may not be good for or healthy for 
another person. So mm -hmm. what makes you feel good may not make someone else feel good. And we really have to keep that in mind. It's not a one size fits all world. It's not a one size fits all way of eating. And it really, we really have to be thinking about things like culture and, um, and illnesses and diseases and activity and jobs, all these different things stress levels, emotion, you know, there's all these things that play into our health and our well-being, not just what's on our plate or in our glass. Yeah. And I think that so it's around here and I've, I've been guilty of this myself. There's a healthy distrust of big pharma in the world. And I think that sometimes that is boiled down to like, well, I'm just going to eat a bag of apples every day because I read over here that that's going to cure me of everything. <laughs> right. Or or in my case, and I'm only half kidding, I'm smoking a ton of weed because it's a panacea. Like I'll never get sick because I smoke so much weed, you know, uh, and that's not true. For example, I have very high cholesterol. And part of that is because of my diet. And I could lower it by altering my diet. But I can also simply take a medicine that will lower it for me. So guess which one I'm going to do, Leah? <laughs> I'm thinking taking the medicine. That's what I'm going to do. Cause... Well, you, know, you put that out there on Facebook. And I said, you know, there's a lot of other factors to cholesterol. Like so mm -hmm. genetics, like what your family history is. Some I have a very good friend who was very in shape, long distance runner, and he had hypercholesterolemia. And it was because of a family history, no matter how much he ran, no matter how perfect in mm -hmm. your quotes, his diet was, he could not budge that cholesterol below what was considered an acceptable range. It was very frustrating for him. So mm -hmm. but he ended up taking a medication and he is and continuing to exercise, continuing to eat healthy, and he's doing great. Good. Yeah. One of the, When I put that out there on Facebook, one of my friends piped up and said, hey, listen, I'm a hardcore vegan. I have been for like 25 years. Right. My cholesterol's through the roof. Right. I can't do anything about it. It's family genetics. And so, well, I do think that I could lower mine by eating one less cheeseburger, <laughs> a day. Um, I do. I am a big, my doctor put it to me pretty succinctly. She said, you take this medicine, you eat what you want, Stu, and you won't have to worry about it. And I was like, sold. Um, <laughs> now there's side effects that I have to try to deal with and stuff sure. like that. But um, so there, yes, Leah is here in Asheville <laughs> to help us stay grounded when it comes to nutrition versus magical thinking. Right. Now, Leah, let's back up a little bit and talk about your days in the Army. Um, now, oh. I'm not sure if you were deployed. It, it seemed like you were actively enrolled uh, in the Army during uh, Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. Um, I'm not sure. 100%. I didn't, I wasn't able to find your military records or anything. <laughs> I just read your bio several places. Well, so, so were you deployed? No, I, I was not. So I was um, uh, on a um, deployment watch a few times um, during, uh, I guess we'd probably have been around um, 97, 98. And I was on um, a team that was trained for deployment. So I, okay. I would 
we would go out and do field training exercises for a week, 10 days, two weeks at a time. Um, but I was not deployed. Um, yeah, and there are dietitians that have been deployed. Actually, back to probably World War II, dietitians, army dietitians were maybe even earlier than that, were de deployed with troops to provide nutrition care. And by nutrition care, I, I don't mean just feeding meals, but making sure people were um, being fed to better uh, achieve um, better health, you know, when they were injured, badly injured during the war. Okay. Yeah, I read that somewhere around 60 dietitians were deployed during those two operations I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and so let's uh, let's talk about, I'm just going to cut to the chase because I've been dying to ask you this since we came on. I am like a lot of people. I am fascinated by meals ready to eat. Like they fascinate me. I watch YouTube videos of people cracking them open from World War II and trying to eat them and stuff like that. And there's a whole there's a whole YouTube community of people who find and eat old MREs to see if they're any good. Yeah. So here's the here's my two questions. Leah, have well, I've got a lot of questions. Let me just ask them. Have you eaten a lot of them yourself? Yeah, when we did the field training exercises, um, we always had MREs. Um, the idea of MRE is basically an emergency ration. It's not something you would eat on a regular basis, okay. um, unless maybe you were camping. <laughs> okay. um, and the idea is that they are, um, there's a 24 different MREs. Uh, I had to look this up, Stu, because it's been so long since I thought about it. So there's 24 <laughs> different MREs. There are MREs for halal and kosher okay. and vegetarian yes. MREs. Yeah. Um, and I think the lifespan of an MRE is like two to three years. So these people cracking open MREs from, you know. <laughs> like I'm telling you, they're from they Vietnam and stuff. I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> they don't always eat them, I'll tell you. Sometimes right. they're like, all right, this one's this one's gone horribly good. bad. Yeah. Um, so are they any good? You know, um, so um they're better than not eating at all. That's a, that's a good point. Um, oh, spoken like a dietitian. Yeah. Right? So um, you know. The whole idea behind the MREs, and each MRE is about 1,200 to 1,250, maybe a little bit more calories, so somewhere okay. in that, so that you get, uh, depending on how much is packed up for you, two to three of those a day. So that would be a little high in calories for most women, um, but except in a very active environment, it might be a little low for men. But in order to get those 1,200 to 12, 1,300 calories, you have to eat every single thing in the MRE. So everything is sort of designed. So it's like um, really provides you with the balance of nutrition that you need. There's actually a whole research center. I think it's um, up in the Boston area, Natick Fusarium, that just does research on um, how to provide the best tasting um, MREs, and they usually come out with all different things. Um, every couple of years, they they redo the products. But I remember ones that were like, there was a tuna, they always have like hot sauce in them. 
The main entree is meant to be, it can be eaten cold or hot. It can be immersed in hot water. And they also have like heating units that you can heat them up. There's usually some sort of cracker. There's hot sauce. There used to always be chewing gum, candy. Hmm. Um, it's everything has to be incredibly shelf stable. It has to be fairly dehydrated. So mm -hmm. that's one of the problems. So without getting too specific, you got to drink a lot of water with those in order to um, kind of feel better. <laughs> okay. Feel better, uh -huh. Right. Uh, and, but in ca some cases, maybe you don't want to have to use latrines and things like that. So might yeah. not be a bad idea to be real constipated. Is that <laughs> way too much? Is that way too much information for your group? I might. No, be. that's Sorry. actually the perfect information for these <laughs> folks. They need to know that because I know, like me, that a lot of people are thinking, "Why don't we eat these things all the time? They're ready to eat. The army is spending money to make them taste better. Um, why don't we just pop these babies open?" And and after your descriptions, now I no longer wonder why we don't eat these things all the time in civilian life. But they are uh, life-saving equipment for any person in the field and they are i read or maybe i watched a youtube video about them one time that said that they are designed in a lot of ways to combat psych psychological depression as much as hunger because if they don't taste good if they don't give you the comforts of home like that little bit of hot sauce is probably right. not just for spice but because that'll give a lot of people some comfort of home and uh and so they're kind of a fascinating psychological thing as well as just a utilitarian thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we would know after a while you kind of know which ones have the best um, desserts or candies in them. <laughs> you know, which ones have the Skittles, which ones have the I guess I think there might have been lifesavers in some nice. uh, because. And then you would like, you know, if you were eating them, you might trade something with someone else. But after eating those for a cycle, you know, a 10 days, 12 days, you're ready for fresh, hot food. And so, you know, the military's goal is always um, to try and deploy those kind of food service operations, even if it's a very mo mobile kitchen, unless, of course, you were somewhere where, you, you know, if you were in a very, um, like a top secret SEAL team or something right. like that, that was moving very quickly and you couldn't do that. You probably would be living off of MREs for a long time. Wow. So let's talk, uh, let's go back to some of your angle stuff and we'll, we'll wrap up in about, I'm having too much fun. So we've already gone over time, but we'll wrap up in about three or four minutes, but okay. let's talk about some of your local food initiatives that you do through Ingalls. And... Yeah, you know, before the pandemic, Stu, I was doing a lot. I always feel like I have to like qualify everything. BP, before the pandemic, um, I was working a lot with some of our, with our local farmers and vendors. We have uh, a lot of them. People don't realize that because when you walk into a big store, a lot of those uh, small local products or the, those local food shelves can kind of get lost in the middle of 100,000 other products. Right. So um we were doing taste of local events at our stores and bringing um, some of the local farmers and vendors in so they could sample products uh, for our customers and let customers know that they were there. Now, what we've seen, of course, we weren't doing that in the, in the 
during the height of the pandemic because we couldn't. And now what we're really seeing, and I'm sure you can relate to this from your work with the restaurants, is a lot of these small vendors and food entrepreneurs are really hurting for staff. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I was in touch with a bunch of, we have about 35 who are just our shelf products, like ranging mm. from sunburst, um, trout, uh, jerky to hickory nut gap to um, uh, biscuit head uh, mixes. And a lot of them are telling me, you know, we we would love to do this again. We just don't have the people. We just don't have the staff. We're not, we don't, to go out to these events and spend four or five hours at an event. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, as time goes on, that will improve. But yeah, I really enjoy working with the local folks. Um, I think we have a very unique community in Western North Carolina with um, ASAP and Blue Ridge Food Ventures and Blue Mountain Distributors, who distributes a lot of our local products um, that many other communities don't have, especially communities of this size, mm -hmm. to really help the and people groups like Mountain BizWorks that really help mm. these companies with advice, with guidance, and how to take a product from something they cook in their home or they want to do to making it um, uh, something that people will buy in a supermarket like Ingalls. Yeah. And you guys have a great local selection. It's always great to, it's like seeing a friend at the grocery store when you yeah. see something from a local vendor, you know, oh, I sure. know them. And so that's, that's great. I've always felt like Ingalls has played ball with the local food scene and that you're, you're sort of a, a big deal because you're all over the place and everybody that I know shops at Ingalls in one location or another. And uh, it's for me, shopping at Ingalls is part of buying local. Even if you're buying national brands at the Ingalls, it's supporting our regional grocery store, which I'm, I feel like we should take as a community, take some pride oh, in thanks, that. Stu, thanks. Yeah, sure thing. So yeah, real quickly, let's just touch on your radio show. Let's just uh, say what it's called and where people can listen and, and give them some reasons to listen. Sure. So I've been hosting a program on um, News Radio 570, which is WWNC um, 570 AM through the iHeart Network now for about um, I don't know, 16 years, even before it was iHeart. And that airs on Saturday mornings at about eight o'clock, 8.05 in the morning on News Radio 570. You've been a guest on the show. I've had a lot of our local vendors on the show. Um, I've had local authors. It's um, if I, as long as I can make a, even a tangential um, Ingalls tie-in, <laughs> I love to talk to people about what they're doing, about local food, about local products. Um, so yeah, it's a lot, a lot of fun. And the last time you were on, you made me think about biryani. Biryani, is that what it is? The local, your favorite, you said one of your favorite new local dishes was uh, a- Oh, a oh biria. 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 That's it. That's it. Yeah. Biria. And I'm and pronouncing so, it wrong myself. It's more, yeah, you got to roll that birria. R a little bit. Birria. So birria I'm taco. Seeing it, I'm seeing it everywhere. And uh, right. all, all, it, it actually came up on Bing's trending recipes this week. Just so you know, you were ahead of the game, Stu. Well, 
I'm not, I wouldn't go that far because uh, it was already a wave and you asked me to identify some food trends. And so yeah. I, I picked that as one of them. So I'm, Hey, I'm glad that I got some backup from another source that it is a trend right now. Yeah. Well, Leah, people should definitely tune into your radio show and uh, keep out. Can we still hear you come over the speakers at Ingalls when we're there? Yeah, if you stay in the store long enough, you, you'll you know, eventually hear. To, yeah, feel free to stay in the store for two, three hours, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you'll probably hear me multiple times. There you go. Well, I sure do appreciate what you do for us here in Asheville, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Stu, and I appreciate you too. Oh, thank you so much, Leah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with one of my recurring guests, one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite people on our food scene. I have Jen Hampton with me today. Hey, Jen, how are you? Howdy, Stu. I'm doing pretty great. I'm enjoying the lovely weather we've had this weekend, my new job. It's, you know, good times all around. New job. For those who can't see, Jen is sitting in an office situation, much different than the usual setting that she uh, zooms in from. Uh, and Jen has a new position as the housing and wages organizer for Just Economics. And Just Economics is a nonprofit around here. Jen, can you tell us a little bit about Just Economics and your new position? Yes, um, Just Economics is a nonprofit um, dedicated to improving economic justice and social justice um, in WNC. Um, yeah, they, they, they advocate for, they, they certify businesses for the living wage in the area. Okay. They advocate for affordable housing, um, reaching out to historically underrepresented groups of people. Cool. So just all around trying to make everybody's lives better from the bottom up. That's great. And you have been a food industry worker for how many years? How long were, were you actually in the kitchen? I was in food service for 31 years. It's a long yeah. time to do any one thing, that's for sure. And your last mm -hmm. position was at Ben's Tune-Up, which is a popular restaurant very popular with the locals in fact mm -hmm. um and jen on your way out you made a nice post about ben's on facebook do you do you mind just shouting out ben's a little bit what made it oh so man i would love to shout out ben's um they have been oh i got a little teary-eyed um, they've had just such a huge impact on my life my life has really just transformed and um since i first started working there and a lot of it has to do with really the unconditional support of the owners and the wanting people, you know, wanting to lift everybody up and just treating you like a human being and acknowledging that you deserve dignity and respect and, you know, fighting for me when I just wasn't fighting for myself, you know, and they're just really great people. It's been a, a pleasure to work with them. Right on. Shout out Ben's Tune Up, a longtime favorite here in Asheville for treating their employees right. And Jen, you're, you uh, became an, a, an organizer and a founder of Asheville Food and Beverage United while you were working at Ben's. So it's interesting that it wasn't in a place that mistreated their workers where you felt like you needed to unionize. It was at a place that treated you well, that you felt like you mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that that situation was the same for everybody in the industry. Is, is that a fair assessment? 
That's exactly right. And um, yeah, it was like, I, I want other people. And I explained this to Molly whenever we first started organizing. You know, I said, hey, I, I'm doing this thing, but it's not because I don't love you guys. And it's not because I'm unhappy. It's because I love this place and I love the way we're treated. And I feel like everybody should have that too. So I'm going to be fighting for all these people to have what we have. That's perfect. That's great. I love that story. And so you're no longer at Ben's. Are you still with Asheville Food and Beverage United? Yes, I am. I am okay. still um, chair of Asheville Food and Beverage United. Um, I'm still working a few times a month at the Civic Center or okay. uh, Cherokee. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Hannah's. Or, yeah. yeah. So I'm still doing that just to keep my street cred in the industry, you know. I was wondering about that, actually. Like, <laughs> are you going to still have some uh, skin in the game, as they say? So it sounds like you are. So yeah. you're you're kind of working three jobs, which is typical of Asheville. You've got your job at Just Economics. You've got your uh, volunteer work with AFBU. Is, mm -hmm. is, and then you've yeah, got your, your part-time job working for, we'll call it the Civic Center. Old school Asheville will know <laughs> it as the Civic Center. It's been renamed a couple of times. Wasn't it something mm -hmm. like the Cellular Center for a while? Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jen, you've got some some great news. Uh, well, no, let's do bad news first. There okay. were some closures in Asheville, uh, some restaurants closed, and you mentioned you wanted to talk about those. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's kind of bad, but it's also silver linings because it's really highlighting the um, compassion and support of the Food and Bev tribe in Asheville. Um, we've had at least four closures, I think, in the past six months. We had Bramari, um, we had Blue Dream and Harvest Pizza and um, H&F recently closed. All of those, except for Blue Dream, closed without any notice to their employees. Blue Dream, James, of course, you know, did the right thing and let his workers know, but these other places just shut it down, you know, no notice, nothing. So, you know, as you can see, it was during not great times to be unemployed and people were devastated. So mm -hmm. in the F&B tribe, you know, we post about it and the comment sections just fill up for all four of these places, you know, offering employment to the workers and resources. We've gathered lists of resources, you know, for people, especially some that are dedicated to food service workers like Giving Kitchen. So just, you know, there's just been an outpouring of compassion. And I heard from an H&F employee that more than half of those workers have already found a new job because of the tribe. That's awesome news. And that just happened not even a few days ago that they closed their doors and, and the staff lost their jobs. Some mm -hmm. of them found out on Facebook or yes. other social media. That is That's horrible. Exactly right. That's This is one thing that is makes it hard to work in the food and beverage industry is that ownership sometimes doesn't recognize that people depend on those jobs to live their actual lives. Like mm -hmm. your workers aren't just showing up because they love hospitality, although they do in a lot of cases love to provide <laughs> hospitality, but they're not volunteers and they, yeah. and their landlord doesn't accept a, a hug for a rent, you know? And so when you close a restaurant uh, without letting the staff know, it destroys people's lives in the moment for the weekend, for the week, for a month, mm -hmm. on and on. Oh my God, I'm getting a phone call mm -hmm. right in the middle of our interview. Um, and so it's, 
it's just heartbreaking and infuriating. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it makes it makes us both sad and angry in the community when that happens. So I'm glad that we have this great Facebook group that steps in and helps uh, when the chips are down. And yeah. and you're one of the founders of that Facebook group as well. So thanks for that, Jen. My pleasure. It's been quite, quite awesome to find my people during the pandemic and then start fighting with them, you know? Absolutely. Um, I feel like every, every city should have at least one Facebook group. And I know people think Facebook is for old people, but it's a huge social media platform. And every city should have at least one group where the workers can talk to each other without fear of repercussions. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're sad to lose those restaurants. Um, sad for those customers or those mm -hmm. staff, those people that work there to be out of a job, but happy to hear that a lot of them are getting jobs. So next on my list, it says May Day with an exclamation point. Yes, I'm so <laughs> excited. Um, I can't remember. It's, it's only been a year, but it seems like a lot longer. Um, last May Day is when AFBU launched our first campaign, kind of our coming out party, you know, like, hey, guys, we're here. We debuted our T-shirts and, you know, um, we had like 50 people that were following us at that time in our email list. And now it's like 2,200 when I checked nice. there this week. So things just blew up after May Day. And it's really, and, and so this year that's special for that reason for us. We are, I'm now the, the facilitator for the Workers' Assembly, Western the WNC Workers' Assembly. And we are gathering all of the labor groups, organizations and unions around WNC to come together for a showing of solidarity. We're gonna have speakers from the new Green Sage Union who just voted unanimously in favor of their union. So it's official. Nice. Um, we're gonna have some educators, bus drivers, nurses, and a couple of folks from AFBU. Um, I'm gonna be emceeing it. So that's gonna be fun. And um, yeah, so it's, it's gonna be really good time. It's May 1st. Pack Square, where the old monument used to be that won't be named. Yes. And, <laughs> um, yeah, for, starting at 4.30, and we're going to have burritos and chips and drinks and signs already. Just come with your hands, feed your face, and hold a sign. You That's know? great. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So the basically the one-year anniversary of AFBU. Yeah, it's basically. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on doing a year. You have accomplished so much within that year from from prorated parking for downtown workers to the Green Sage uh, Triumph. Uh, I actually haven't talked to you since that happened. But yeah, there was the workers at Green Sage unionized and then there was union busting and people got fired. There was a protest downtown and mm -hmm. sounds like the workers have unionized again. They have. It's official. They had to have an official NLR, NLRB election, and it was unanimous. They all voted in favor of it. So the union busting didn't work. Sweet. And I, I hope that we can look to that to Green Sage as an example from this point on of how a strong union in a small business can improve things for everybody, including mm -hmm. the owner. 
Uh, exactly. I, the the idea of unions is not to put yourself out of a job by putting the business mm -hmm. out of out of business. No. It is to improve business by improving morale and desire to be at work. And nothing motivates like money in America. So fair wages and uh, work is not life. And so um, time to uh, spend with your friends and family outside of work is crucial. So I am mm -hmm. so happy that you had that success with Green Sage. Well, I would like to give the credit to the workers because they did the work. They reached out to us. They organized. Really, all we did was explain to them their rights and what the process would look like. So, you know, we helped, but they did it. You know, they stayed together. They didn't let the union busting work. And yeah, so that's on them. I love it, Jen. You you said the workers did the work, and I love they that. They did, yeah. yeah. Um, and one last thing before, and keep in mind, I'm going to ask you to uh, recommend a piece of food at the end of this. I forgot to mention that in our pre-meeting. <laughs> um, but before that, let's talk about, you said you guys are involved with Beer Week. Oh, we sure are. Um, we were reached out to by um, Karis, who is an executive the executive director for Beer Week now. Mm -hmm. And she wants us to have, you know, a, a fun educational type thing during beer week. So we finally just got word last night that it's going to be, we're going to be hosted at Dissolver um, cool. on May 23rd. And we're going to do a really fun, like labor centered bingo with cool merch and prizes from both AFBU and from Dissolver. And hopefully I'll be able to wrangle up some, you know, prizes from other businesses. That's awesome. So, I love it. I'm excited about that one. Yeah, that's great. And Karis is such a good person and mm -hmm. a strong member of our food and beverage community for many years. Yeah. Uh, now now she's heading up Beer Week. And believe me, here in Beer City, USA, Beer Week is a big deal. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And and Beer Week, I think, took a hiatus during the uh, during the pandemic. So I it did. It yeah, this is the big triumphant return. Triumphant return of beer week. Oh my <laughs> Lord, lock your doors and windows, people. Um, <laughs> um, so Jen, now's the time. The the hour is nigh. Do you have a, a piece of food that you want to shout out? I know. Oh, you're nodding your head up and down. You're mm -hmm. ready. Let's have I'm it. I'm ready. When Let's you said food, I was like, oh, that burrito. Okay. I had, I went to Mamacita's for lunch last week kind of, with Molly, actually. Oh, and it was just so good. I, I do my usual thing. I just exclaim to strangers, this is so good. This is so good, you guys. <laughs> I'm that weirdo in the restaurant. I get real happy about good food. That's great. So, um, yeah, I had their, uh, I don't even know what you call it, but it was just all the vegan things in there. Okay. So the rice just... and the beans and the guacamole on the pico. I think they had some cauliflower, maybe. Okay. Yeah, cauliflower asada. Oof. Well, that good. sounds great. And for those who don't know, uh, Mamacitas, mm -hmm. you, you stand there and you sort of point at the stuff that you want in your yes. burrito. There's a lot of stuff to choose from. So let's just call it uh, Jen's Vegan Extravaganza or something like that. Just <laughs> load that baby up with everything vegan. And, yes. And, and those Mamas ladies are burrito artists. You know, They are. And Mamacitas mm -hmm. is just a longtime favorite of Asheville's. So good. 
So good. Well, thanks, Jen. You are also so good at what you do <laughs> at cooking, at organizing, at getting stuff done. And I appreciate you. I know the whole uh, worker community appreciates you and the efforts of your cohorts at AFBU and now your colleagues at Just Economics. Congratulations on your new job. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been great. Yeah. And I'll talk to you again real soon. Okay. Thanks, Bye-bye. too. Thank Bye. You. At the power of workplace democracy across the city of Asheville. This is just the beginning. Rock your horns for unions! All right, everybody, that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my guests for being on. And thank you, WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. Please follow me on social media at Stu Helm Food Fan. And if you eat something good, be sure to let me know about it. All right, folks, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.